If you want access to bonus episodes, reading lists for every series of Empire, a chat community, discounts for all the books mentioned in the week's podcast, ad-free listening, and a weekly newsletter, sign up to Empire Club at www.empirepoduk.com. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Welcome to this very special Christmas edition of Empire. With me, Anita Arnand and... Me, William Drumple. And our very, very special guest, Peter Moore, who in the last episode was just hilarious about the fate of Dalrymple because we could have had... Oh, I thought it was a very tragic I mean, tale. It was a very it sad hilarious. story. It was, it, was... A bit, it was a bit funny. I mean, a bit, but for a flounce. But for a flounce. But for a flounce, he could have been... People would be able to spell my name. ...a major figure yeah. <laughs> in the history of Discovery. But um, he didn't. It was James Cook instead who gets this command. He's quite a boring figure compared to Joseph Banks, who is a, a, a also... Anita's warming uh, up with Joseph Banks now. <laughs> We're going to get a lot of pictures of Joseph well, Banks on Anita's interesting. Instagram. He's a clever... <laughs> clever clever man i like a clever clever man okay so there they are when do they actually set sail on the endeavor in august of 1768 they're off and um let's see where we go <laughs> okay all right so so i mean how many people are accruing for them so they've got banks yeah. as the scientist with the mission you've got cook who is dependable like the flat bottom boat quite steady mm. how many other crew on this ship all told with um the sailors and banks's party which is sizable probably yeah. i don't know about half a dozen dozen i'm not sure um and it's this wonderful little area at the back of the boat yeah they have where he's the, got his little yeah. trestle tables and his test tubes and his bottles and that's right yeah uh, so it's probably about just over 90 i think so if you imagine 90. what i said it used before, to be 15 and now it's 90 you were saying yeah. that the, the old completely Earl of refitted the boat they put in new right. floors yeah, where there used to be just a big coal sh coal hole. Yeah, they've cleaned it all up. They is put it comfortable? In a new I mean, or is it quite basic? Really, not comfortable in no. any way that we'd understand comfort. I don't. Think. But, but hammocks. I mean, what are we talking? Master and commander kind of hammocks underneath. Yeah, the, the fourteen decks. inches regulation yes. hammocks, like banging into each other. They had. Um, oh, I'm trying to remember now, but it was it was hard work in a way. But I think the, the most difficult thing about it would be the the emotional environment in a way that you're kind of hemmed up with people without okay. any release. It's like the big for... brother house. <laughs> okay. So, and, and does the ship sort of change livery because now it's this great, you know, royal mm. uh, by royal command ship does it have a figurehead does it have like a beautiful kind of livery behind it i, I mean know. i mean yes and no i mean it's painted up to look a bit nicer it gets the okay. um you know the flag of a naval vessel on commission but essentially it's a weird hybrid of a coal ship with this you know ephemera of a royal navy vessel so always sort of it like a cart horse with lipstick you know yeah. <laughs> is that kind of the, the kind of thing you're talking yeah, about it's yeah it's the kind of thing that you can imagine if you were like someone who knew about ships in that time they'd look at yeah. it and go hmm 
what the hell is that? Okay. <laughs> it's a kind of strange um, apparition. But it's the it's the Banks bit of the expedition yes. that you you obviously love because you, in in your account of it, Banks is absolutely centre stage. He arrives at Madeira, the first stop, and he's immediately out there collecting specimens. He's with his butterfly net and everything oh, yeah. else. Well, the, I mean, this is just a process that doesn't stop. Whenever they get to land, Banks is off. He, it's like you press a button and it's botanized, botanized. In Madeira, botanized. you say seven hundred specimens in less than six days. Yeah, well, there you go. That's I can't remember the the numbers, but this is illustrative of what they were doing. I mean, Madeira was known. This was like the Watford Gap for you know on the way across the Atlantic. What they wanted to do was get out as far away as possible. And and Banks had this idea that he might find some new species or in Madeira. But it's really a warm up, isn't well, it? Just flexing uh, muscles on the whole, on the whole yeah. trip. Yeah, and you have him in some sort of contraption fishing on the on the back of the ship, yeah. uh, go, 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 trying to pick up fish. And, yeah, the lighterman's uh, skiff, I think it was called. So he'd often be trailing behind when they were becalmed or they were, you know, he didn't stop. And they had this idea, I think, that they would collect in the mornings and they would classify in the afternoons. And if you do read, people are interested in enlightenment philosophy, they just read this journal. It's very, very brisk. There's always something happening. He's on to the next thing. His insights are very poetic sometimes. He's got a nice expressive voice, I think, that he uses. And he's drawing or his, his friend Solander is drawing? He's got a young Scotsman called Sidney Parkinson, who I have to say is my hero because he's... You're very keen on him, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, I like Parkinson because he's a very thoughtful Quaker. He's an introvert. But he, his his journal doesn't survive, but his the foul copy of it does. So there's lots of notes which you can put together. I always think that Parkinson's journal is a great lost document. I bet you went looking for that. Yeah. It was, why, I think, why is it lost? I mean, just... I don't know. I think it disappeared in Banks' house afterwards. But anyway, yeah. that's a whole different story. But the Parkinson is is like he's he's a very humane character as well so so for example banks is charging around in labrador like fashion all the time whereas parkinson actually stops to think about what's happening and so parkinson will record when one of the sailors dies for example oh i see and banks doesn't mention it well, at he, all. if banks mentions it it's like we were delayed two days oh, by God. the drowning of this it's quite inconvenient so he's very Fred crass died. sometimes but parkinson yeah, is a considerable yeah. artist and the the, the yeah. illustrations that you yeah. include and in your book are beautiful yeah, botanical absolutely. paintings. Yeah. And- okay, so they, so they carry on. They're on the, the voyage. They've left Madeira. They're getting closer and closer to the equator. But crossing the equator is a really big deal for the Endeavour and crew. Tell us a little bit about that moment. Well, they, uh, they had a traditional ceremony at that point. This is a great thing in all these travel accounts. Crossing yeah, the equator was a big mm, deal. Crossing lines. This isn't particular to Endeavour, but this is one thing that they did They did observe at the time. And so crossing from the north into the southern hemisphere, they said, required some sort of ceremonial moment. And weirdly on, on the Endeavour, there was a very long account of what happened, which involved a subversion of authority. So all of those commissioned officers had to buy themselves off or agree to be ducked by the ordinary seamen. So it's a bit of a bizarre thing which goes on in the middle be of ducked. the... Be ducked. I mean, is that exactly yeah, what it sounds like? Yeah. Doink it, under the water. Yeah, and uh-huh. I think Banks paid himself off and so would Cook, right. for example. Right. Um, I wrote about this in the sense that really in light of what happens later on with things like the bounty and shipboard management and like how it was important to cohere as a social group and this these things interest you. There's a lot of drinking at this point too, isn't there? Yeah, they, they drink. But camaraderie-wise, and are you saying that there was a distance between Banks, Cook and the crew or that actually it was a good thing that there was a distance? I mean, you're describing two men who are slightly aloof. Yeah. 
is that good or bad on a voyage? Well, I think like one thing that was uh, going to be central to the success of the voyage was the relationship between Cook and Banks. Mm-hmm. The, and this is where Cook is just superb. He always rises in people's estimation by degrees, not really by specific acts, but you can just tell when you read the accounts, they say, well, this guy was really good. The way he did this was really clever. And he kind of just grows in stature. And you have to remember at the beginning of this voyage, you have Cook, who is not Captain Cook at this point. He would be called Captain by convention by when they were on the ship, yeah. but he was a lieutenant by rank. Okay. He was very... Okay, I don't see. I took that for granted, Captain yeah. Cook. He's always been Captain Cook in my head. And right. he, he was a farm labourer's son right. from North Yorkshire. He had no status. He had no hereditary honour, which right. is how they used to talk about He's a common things. man who ran the colliers. Yeah, He yeah. was a common man and he'd yeah. been put in charge of this. The potential for it all going wrong was huge if they didn't respect him, if they thought that he was... You know, weak. Yeah, if they thought he was weak. Yeah. And um, in particular, Banks poses a problem because Banks is the kind of person who's used to getting his way. He's in charge. Yeah. He's, you know, from aristocratic background. Mm. But actually on ship... It's Cook who's in charge. And I think looking at these power dynamics is is interesting. I mean, I should say that on Endeavour, the best cabin should be the captain's yeah. cabin. Yeah, which is above deck or is it below this in the It goes off the, the, the great cabin well. at the back and there right. was a particular one. And who went into that cabin? Banks. Banks. Of course, okay. Banks did. So okay. Cook was relegated yeah. to a side um, cabin for one of the lieutenants. So you see that power right. dynamic was confused from the beginning. But as you say, he's in charge. You know, it's just as I say, Cook, he grows in stature as the voyage goes. And actually Banks realises that he can't do without this person. And if you're going to put your life right. in the hands of someone. Then you better better yeah. really have a steadfast man. And, and the time when people's lives are most at risk at this time in history is is rounding the horn. Yeah. And so as they get to the horn, what is the situation and the and the condition of the ship and its crew? It's fine. I mean they they're going well. They they have mm. this this moment where they stop in Rio and have a row with the local authorities and then they go Quite down. A bad row. Really bad row. Yeah. For the reason I told you because the, the Portuguese uh, viceroy doesn't believe that it's an exploration vessel. They said we're going off to measure the transit of uh, Venus. Oh yeah, pull the other one. What but what are you actually doing here? No but, one I mean, trusts in, the in, British. In you many know, ways it is quite fair because often exploration voyages from France, England and Russia are spies going mm, out. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they're not they're not doing what they say they're yeah. going to be doing. So that's a really like, yeah. uh, an annoying diplomatic yeah. incident. But they, they go around Cape Horn pretty well. I mean, those of you who've read David Grant's book on the wager this year, which had been one of the big books about maritime life in, in the 18th century, will know about Anson's voyage, which happened. It was the big one before the Endeavour one, basically. And I think two thirds of the people on Anson's voyage died. Right. Like two thirds. That's that's a that's a mortality rate which is higher than the Somme. So they they round the horn, that's fine. They they managed to do that with great aplomb. How and long, Banks manages to get ashore and, and get And he gets, some... gets what he wants as well. But how long before they reach the Pacific Islands, which is really what makes this voyage Yeah, so this is, immortal, again, this is just you know. uh, points out how good uh, Cook is because he's, he follows his orders and he actually arrives in Tahiti, which mm. is um, where... Uh, I mean, there's a whole backstory to this as well, but this is the place which the British call George's Island. Mm. You know, the British were very fond of uh, crowning new things George. George. <laughs> You know, when when they, yeah, when they, yeah, when they discovered George a planet Street, in the, in the yeah. 1780s, they called it George. They called, but there's a pla- there was a planet called George. Yeah, that was Uranus. Yeah, Uranus uh, was called George. Yeah, to begin with. Yeah, that's what the British first called. <laughs> Can I just say I find that just utterly delightful. Yeah. <laughs> I think we should always call Uranus George from now on. <laughs> and so they were heading to this <laughs> this island that they had called George's Island, which is in the middle of the South Seas, perfect for transit observations. Yeah, <laughs> of course it wasn't called uh, George's Island. First person to get the proper name 
of the island mm. is my friend Sydney Parkinson, who uh, the day that like, yes. you know he he says it's called O Tahiti. Actually, like the O is an article, so mm-hmm. it's actually just Tahiti. But mm-hmm. they persisted with calling it O Tahiti mm-hmm. for a, for a long time. Right in the middle of the South Seas, in an area that we call the Society Islands, French Polynesia is its name mm. today, and that's where the the transit observations happened in I think June of. 1769. 1769. And, and how do they, you know, in the first meeting with the people who have lived in Tahiti stroke, Otahiti stroke, George, um, I mean, what are they like? What do they, what do they describe them as being like? Had anyone, there had been some voyages earlier yeah, so, that had landed. So, yeah. I mean, this is a really fascinating bit of history that Anne Salmon, the, the New Zealand historian, has written about at length. And I would suggest people go and have a look at those books if they're very interested. But there's a series of encounters which happen on the voyages. The Society Islands, I'll call mm. these ones, are f- form the first series of encounters. And there had been some voyages that went through in the years before, firstly by Bourgainville. After well, whom even before that, actually. is named? Yeah, and, and before that, sorry, there was a voyage of Byron who, who went, but I'm not sure Byron saw Tahiti, but Wallace, who also went in the Dolphin, the same ship, did. So and you can imagine, and Anne Salmon describes these islanders as living a life of cosmic loneliness in the middle of the certificate. Cosmic the, loneliness. Yeah, it's a beautiful phrase, Gosh, which just right. stays with me, where you are alone in this watery world, you know? And um, the Polynesians, who are the greatest seafarers in yeah. human history by miles, I mean, whatever the Imperial British did is is nothing in comparison to that great question of how there was a colonial wave from Hawaii to New Zealand. Mm. I mean, how did that happen? That's a bonkers thing. But it happened because of Polynesian seafaring. Okay. And um, they... The, the period of long-distance voyaging had stopped in about the year four, 1400. And then these strange vessels start turning up. Okay, so what, what do they say about, you know, the first time, you know, first contact, as, as we call it? Do, what does Banks say about it? What does Cook say about it? And what does your man Parkinson so say about it? Yeah, I, I think one thing that, that really um, that everyone points out is is the vividness of the colours. The, the, when you're in the middle of the Pacific, it's the kind of the turquoise blues of the water, you know, different areas of colour in, in the water, the jade green of the mountains which rise up from the sea. These kind of things are very prominent. One thing that uh, modern science has actually added to our understanding of these accounts is that often the sailors were quite scurvied by this point. Scurvy. And scurvy yeah, has yeah. a weird effect on the function of the human brain. And one thing that we know now is it has a, it's kind of like a sensory distortion thing. So often it's a bit like finding out about unreliable narrator in fiction, finding out about these voyaging accounts, because what they were seeing was obviously pretty striking. If you and I went to Bora Bora or Tahiti today, we go, well, this is pretty, you know, pretty intense. But what they were seeing then was probably heightened by the fact that they were starved of vitamin C. Hang on a minute, what does scurvy do? How does what does scurvy doolally look like when you're looking at something? So this is all very new research, and this is something that I found fascinating when I was writing the book. There's a disturbance of the sensory modulators, basically in the brain. So like taking LSD. Yeah, so it's almost like taking drugs, and you, you, in a way, you're you, there's a disruption of serotonin and dopamine. Right. So you get you get people acting in quite irrational ways and <laughs> looking at things. So that even Cook himself. He 
was very like on a, on a level. Yeah. yeah, even he goes a bit strange at some points. And mm. nowadays with modern science, people have looked at, afresh at these documents and said, actually, we think he might be scurvied at this point. Okay, um, so we, we know so what they thought. It was vivid. It was beautiful. Did they talk about the people that they met? They yeah, do, so, very much so. And they interact with them very closely. Yeah, exactly. So these uh, these preceding voyages of Bougainville and of Wallace had um, established some form of meaningful connection between the two. Um, you've got to imagine that the Europeans saw the Tahitians in very cartoonish 2D varieties. They, they talked of Queen Oberea as being this kind of beneficent queen who overruled the island and it was a land of sexual plenty and all the rest of this. Which but Banks it, makes particular. Yeah, so I mean they give lots of these people names from ancient Rome so you get lots of, it's almost like the slavery story where you find lots of Pompeys and Catos and Caesars come up in their account because it's an ideal landscape. They don't have the vocabulary or the means to understand it. But there's another side to this story as well which is what the Tahitians made of these British voyages coming in. And, and is there any written record? No written records, but there's lots of oral histories okay. and these have like kind of passed down and uh, we do have quite good understanding now. They found them very dirty because the Tahitians were famously clean, weren't yeah, they? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Think, think, things like this. And I think one of the most interesting ethnographic parts of it is Parkinson again, who creates a word list from Tahiti. He, he goes to quite considerable lengths to actually watch the ceremonies as uh, as uh, um, taking place and trying to decode them, and so he he ponders very interestingly about. So, for example, as they the, the, the British think that the Tahitians are great thieves, based on what the fact they steal a lot of things off the ship. Okay, but then Parkinson <laughs> looks at their dwellings and says, "Well, they, there's no locks on their doors, so they can't steal from each other." So that's a kind of example of like how Parkinson is quite. Well, know, so he's, a, he's a deeper thinker. Different attitudes to property is what it actually is. Yeah, and I mean, yeah. this is yeah. also at the time of Rousseau when there's lots of speculation yeah. about noble savage and barbarity what, what, and civility. More on the oral tradition, though. I mean, more on what we know of what people thought, apart from being smelly and dirty. What, what, what else did they think about these people who'd come from across the sea in these strange vessels? Um, yeah, I think there's always a temptation because there are descriptions which have come down of people saying that it was like a floating cloud coming in. It was like mm. an alien ship coming in or a, a house full of divinities or all the rest of this. There's lots of these descriptions of the endeavour which are rich and they're exotic. But actually, I think very soon after this, they would have actually realised that it was a very big canoe, basically, or a right, pie. Okay. And actually, in Parkinson's word list, one thing I noticed, I was looking through, Parkinson's obviously eliciting words from one of the Tahitians, and uh, he asks the word for a canoe, and they say, Pahi, and then he asks the word for ship, which is the next one down. Presumably, he's pointing at Endeavour and saying, well, what would mm. you call that? And they say, Pahi. So they think it's a canoe. Okay, and okay. so they're not they're not that impressed. No, a big canoe. <laughs> big canoe. A big canoe. Okay. Right. And one of them joins the voyage. Yeah, and the most probably one story. of the most extraordinary characters of the 18th century, Topaya, Polynesian star navigator, gets on to Endeavour, leaves with them. Mm. I mean, this is after the transit observations have been taken. So that part of the voyage is is pretty much done. Achieved. Okay. Off. Yeah, yeah to, a, to a degree. And then, so now they're on to the Dalrymple leg. So in, in September 1699, Endeavour becomes the first European vessel to reach the islands of New Zealand for 127 years. Yeah, so New Zealand at this point was the one certain landmass that people knew existed 
down there at some point. They somehow so, managed to get to New Zealand before they got and or so recognised that they found a, a continent. In yeah, Australia. and there was a great schism on board. Some people thought this was a, a coast of the great southern continent that Dalrymple had predicted. And, and some Dalrymple. people. I really do feel sorry for Dalrymple now. It's He's so sitting in New Hales outside oh, Edinburgh. It's winter. And there's, cold you know, there's, there's and ice, or, ice in the, out oh, of the gutters. No, and no, He's no. hearing all these stories or yeah, imagining yeah. all these stories are going to be happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think that's, that's pretty mm. true. And uh, so you get the, the other party, which is like the Cook ones, who say, this is actually just New Zealand. It's part of an island. But so, so that, that landmass of New Zealand isn't understood by European mm-hmm. maps at all. Who'd been there already? The Dutch had been there. Tasman went there in 1642, yeah. I think. There'd been a very brief, violent but episode he, Did he, did with he the go Maori. anywhere beyond Tasmania? Or, I mean, how do you, I mean did so they he, know the scale of it? The scale, was there a shape of New Zealand on the map? Not really. There was like a, a kink on a map. And there was, I think, the encounter between a Tasman and the Maori. I mean, it happened in a place that was called Murderer's Bay. I, I think that's right. And it was very brief. It was like, it wasn't meaningful in any sense. And this is, again, mm. a, a story which kind of repeated when uh, when Endeavour makes it to New Zealand. They get to this place on the eastern coast of the North Island called yeah. Gisborne today. Yeah. The Maori called it Turanga Nui Akiwa, and that's where a pretty infamous encounter with the Maori happens. So what happens? So Cook's, Cook's guys go onto land, the Maori meet them, they meet them in friendship or they meet them in, in war? The relationship in the Society Islands had been pretty friendly. Very friendly. Yeah. yeah, very friendly. Lots of relationships were forged of different types, and I won't go into all of them now. But the Maori were a different cast of character. They were... Warriors. They were warriors, yeah. There was a, an important part of that, was part of their culture. But some absolutely extraordinary things happened in Taranganui, which is still talked about today. First of all, there's a shooting which happens very soon after the endeavour arrives, which results in the death of a Maori man called Tim Maro. And that shot is still debated in New Zealand to this day, whether it was an act of um, self-defence or violence or whatever. And I, I'll leave that to one side for the moment today because I know we've got lots to get through. But shortly after this, you have this moment where the Endeavour crew come ashore and they try to do what they did in Tahiti, which is to establish some kind of relationship so they can take water and things back on board. And they line up on the opposite sides of a river, which is, I think, the Tairanga Nui River. So one side, the Maori, the other side, you have the Endeavour crew. In the middle of this river is a rock. And, you know, this is a kind of very loaded moment in encounter history. And you get Cook. I mean, first of all, they see a haka, the first haka ever witnessed by British crew. I mean, if anyone doesn't know, but I'm sure everyone knows, it's that war dance and rugby fixtures yeah. now most commonly exactly. seen at. But yeah. And then an unknown Maori man comes onto the rock and Cook comes onto the rock. And there's a moment, I think, before that when... Tupaya translates between the two, so he kind of ameliorates the, the language situation. in Tahiti. So this is again, yeah. but I mean, I mean, what a weird moment in European history, or in world history, sorry, where you have someone like Tupaya trying to bridge two cultures that he's not part of yeah, with a language that surprisingly works. Anyway, then Cook and this unknown Maori man stand together and and they have a hongi, which is a joining of two breaths into one body, the traditional Maori mm-hmm. greeting, which, which is basically might, a kiss, is it? Well, it's rubbing it's noses. It's when you rub noses yeah, together. Rubbing noses, the hongi, yeah. And so, yeah. you know, and then yeah. this situation from being quite promising then descends into violence. Do we know what happened or is it mis... Yeah, the, 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 essentially, I, I think what's recorded 
recorded by the British is there is um, a moment of theft. So someone has a hanger stolen from them. And then a hanger. This is a kind of sword, like okay, a small sword, right. okay. which is the kind of thing that I suppose would be stolen in a, a situation like this. The, the Maori have no idea of gunpowder right. at this point, and one of them is shot. And, and then there's a kind of general retreat. After that, Cook does um, something which is quite foolish, where he kidnaps some people which he thought he was going to take as a, as a kind of um, bargaining tool. It's described by his shipmates as a good Christian-like activity. I don't see, and even Cook himself said it was a really bad idea. This ends up in a skirmish because the, the Maori fight back. And there's, I think Cook says three or four people are killed in uh, this skirmish in Taranganuiakiwa. And it's just, I always think that's very revealing that Cook, who's the most precise person in the world, is into approximation. That he can't actually look squarely in the eye at what happened. Yeah, well, I mean, um, that, and also important to say, you know, uh, uh, people talk about Cook being this great explorer and navigator. And it, but New Zealand, he, he's seen very much as a bit of a uh, well, murdering I mean, this, this is the very important yeah. thing to acknowledge in this yeah. voyage, that it, that it is seen as, the end of olden times. Mm. Lots of, this is the language that's often used and the beginning of a painful new history. And this is also an important moment nice. when Cook gets back, we should say, that he is censored by certain people. Yeah, I think actually this is the point which is worth mentioning, Dalrymple, because he had... Uh, sorry if I could do this again. but <laughs> he, Yes, no, please go ahead. <laughs> he, there's a few things that he said, which I think you should be proud of, actually. One of which was that no accession should be made to the British Empire by fraud or violence. Mm. And this was one thing that he was very... So if it was, if the British Empire was to expand, it was to do so... Honourably. Honourably. Mm -hmm. How that was to happen, I don't know. Second thing that I always think showed him in a very, very good light is that he had very high standards for how people should treat both Indigenous people and Indigenous knowledge. So, for example, he hated Cook's habit of renaming places because that was a George. cultural vandalism. Right. Oh, God, I like Darren. Yeah. He's all right. So yeah. he said, well, why, you know, why are we calling this place Poverty Bay when it's already called Taranganui Akiwa? Which is, right. so again, you see him as actually... For his time. Maybe. Yeah, really uh, very yeah. nice. Well, I just think and this was the Pacific, the absolute episode, which and Cook admitted that he screwed up. He said, you know, in his own journal, he said, I, I made a mistake. And, and later, when they got back in Britain... Dalrymple said that, you know, Cook was incompetent on many levels and he was not only incompetent, he was a murderer. And that was, you know, that was... It was a, a serious charge. Serious it's a very serious... And um, with any legal backup or just something where they're basically hitting each other around the face with gloves? A bit of both. Have you ever known a Dalrymple charge into an accusation without um, without <laughs> thinking of the consequences? I don't know. It's it's one of those... But it was a pretty serious thing. So mm. I think those two um, perspectives are worth sharing. But Cook never accepted that he'd done anything wrong? I think Cook did accept that he did something wrong, yeah. I think he said in his journals that, I know I will be censored for this. But he said... Having got myself into the situation, was I to stand around and let myself get hit over the head? That was his kind of point. So from New Zealand, and I think we'll probably talk about this in the next half of this, how long before sites are set on Australia and do they know they're heading for something called Australia? Well, not really, not in the sense that we think of Australia. The Again, geography is very patchy. They have this idea of a landmass, well, they know about Tasmania or or Tasman's land or whatever, Van Diemen's land, I think it was called at the time. And then above that, they knew there was somewhere called uh, New Holland, which is the place that the, the Dutch 
generally collided with when they were on the way to Batavia or something. Zealand is in Denmark, so I don't know quite how it ended up being named after the Danes. Oh, but That's me questioned. I'm not sure. Um, yeah, so, so they had to decide how to get back. They are almost at the opposite side of the world. You know, when you get to New Zealand, you've gone a very, very long way. Might I'd love well. to say more yeah. about the New Zealand portion because it is really interesting. But, but essentially, they have to decide how to get back. And Cook decides that he's going to go and fall in with the coast of New Holland, go north, get to Batavia, and then come back across the Indian Ocean on a very familiar route. By that point, you're fine. Okay. At this point, they're completely off the charts. So I love this. Okay, we'll go into the break now. Join us after the break when we put a coastline to that bit of gap in the middle of the map. Welcome back. So we were talking with Peter Moore about this discovery of the gap in the map, which has a place called Australia, we now know it as. Tell us about the journey of Cook to Australia. And is it simple or, or straightforward um, we should, or yes, disastrous? We should just say at this point that yeah. they're, they're not sure what they're looking for. No. What they've got on their charts it's is odd bits of the land. Map. They've got Tasmania, hmm. they've got Zealand, and they're expecting to find possibly a great southern continent, an enormous landmass, And they don't know whether all these bits join up. Yeah. Mm. So, I mean, there's a huge degree of uncertainty and Cook's got this idea that he wants to fall in, I think that's his language, with what would be the eastern coast of this and work its way up. But, you know, all this idea we have about Australia today is not really understood. And so very soon after the New Zealand portion he does cross, the Tasman Sea gets over to, to the east coast of Australia. They spend a bit of time in Botany Bay and this is where that first landing point is. So in Australian history, this is often seen as a um, a coming of the British a moment. watershed moment. Mm. But of course, we have to say that this is not the beginning of Australian history. It's 50,000 years yeah. since the Aboriginal people. People were there first. 50,000 years. As much as that, yeah. And, and the world's longest continuous like civilization is, is, is this. With, you know, the, this kind of strange moment in 1770 where the, the British turn up. So... Again, we have this third area of encounter. We've had the Society Islands, if you like. New Zealand, New Zealand and Maori's. Maori. And then New Holland, which won't acquire its name Australia for another few generations or until about 18, 1800 with Flinders. What happens here as well, if you characterise the friendliness in Tahiti, the, 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 the violence maybe in New Zealand, there's something more unsettling for the British crew, particularly for people like Banks in Australia, because they're met with a kind of apathy. So they, the Aboriginal people they meet, they don't understand them. They don't accept their gifts. They will often ignore them. They won't regard the ship as a machine of any particular significance. And this really throws them. This really, this really it, muddles them. They don't know what's going on. And yeah. so in, to the sense they actually prefer the Maori because they can understand they that They understand the fight. Yeah. yeah, they can understand the fight. Yeah. But they can't understand the apathy. What do you put the apathy down to? Or what? What is there any oral tradition that yeah. explains what they were thinking? They just wanted them to go away. Just that go away. is to yeah. to distill a very right. long process of oral history. They were watching. It was a wholly different culture which had arisen over such a huge portion of time. So if you think about the ship going a mile away from the shore, there might be a mile between the ship and the shore. 
but there's something like 50,000 years of divergent human history between the, in that space. It's incredible. And and you think like the people who just don't understand each other at all. And we're talking about a specific enlightenment culture that banks exemplifies of gathering, of expanding. Mm. And um, and sometimes I have to admit, when I was reading Banks's journal, you, you really cringe. It's uncomfortable because he th- he's thinking of human beings as specimens. And it's, you know, nothing, yeah. there is nothing tender it's human kind of it is that colonial instinct you have a, a very complex picture of banks in the book and yeah and you're quite fond of him personally but he yeah. shows himself in his least well i think there's good this, colors at this, this point. great ambivalence you, yeah. you wouldn't want to be dogmatic about it because i think you can see how you could turn us into a flag waving history and i never wanted to do that i think this is a story of different perspectives and that's why for the um Subtitle, I chose this, the ship and attitude that changed the world. But changed is an ambivalent word, you know, it's ambiguous. It could mean change for the better or change for the worse. And for these guys, it definitely wasn't for the better. No, 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 no. And a lot of, almost everyone in the Polynesian heritage would say that this was not a good moment for them. No, disastrous. I can describe it as disastrous. disastrous. Okay, so so, so they come on board, they're ignored. At what point does, you know, what does Cook do while he's there? If they're just saying, la, 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 can't hear you and just ignoring them and wanting them to go away. Can I tell you? Yeah, I just, yeah. One of the Dude. things that I think is so. So this has been handed down in oral memory by the Bachala people of Kagari or Fraser Island. This is a really haunting song poem and this is them looking out at the endeavor as it went up the eastern coast and it says strangers are traveling with a cloud Ari Ram it has fire inside it must be a bad water spirit it's stupid maybe it's going directly to that rainbow serpent place this is the truth that I bring it's breathing smoke rhythmically from its rear it must be song men and sorcerers coming up and going back with the wind at its rear it's like a sand crab the sea carries the ship here. Why? And do we know how old that is? I mean, we, we have... We, it's it's, it's just one of these which has been passed down yeah, in oral okay. memory. So there's lots of complexities there of how yeah. that evidence should be treated. And it's probably subject to all sorts of dispossession narratives which have happened over time. But it's kind of the best we've got. And you have to always imagine people looking out at this ship and wondering what It's a happening. very, very interesting yeah. moment. And this is that one that we've come across in mm. previous episodes of Empire. This is a bit like the Balfour Declaration. For Jewish people, it's a moment of a whole new world opens up, a, a state is about to be born. For the Palestinians, it's the Lakhba, it's the catastrophe. The same is true here. Mm. This is the beginnings of the modern nation of Australia. For, for many for many Europeans, this is a new life, a new world, a whole new horizon. The for the Pacific people Islanders that are living there, it's a catastrophe. Mm. And so, so, that yeah. follows a century of, of shrinking and shrinking, of reduction of rights, of kidnapping yeah. of children, diseases, yeah. and that familiar process of encounter with Europe, which leads to every kind of disaster. How long is Cook there and what does he do while he's there? So he just spends um, these few months on the uh, the eastern coast, but we're talking about encounters. One of the most significant encounters is with the Great Barrier Reef because they sail straight into the thing. And this is a crucial moment. You paint it as a moment of enormous sort of the, end, the yeah. ship is literally it's one of these inflection moments, isn't yeah. it, in history where where things could have gone very differently. very very differently. Mm. And they're very lucky. This is where the acorn and yeah. the quality of wood comes there in. We this go. is we it. Got there. We okay, got there we got there. The okay, so we tell us why this is important. So it, the, the the ship gets caught on the coral. 
gets caught on a coral, it grinds, the coral grinds at the ship's hull, it goes down a tide, so the, yeah. the pressure is increasing all the time. They have to wait till the tide comes up. Cook decides that he's going to basically drag the ship off the coral. And he has to jettison, yeah. he has to jettison yeah. stuff, doesn't yeah. he? Yeah. Throw it out. Yeah, but that would have been, I mean, had the ship sunk at that point, that would have been the end. Though no one yeah. would have heard, no one would have known. What they done, and, where they've um, been. And yeah. surely the history of Australia m- might have been different. But all the banks' specimens that he'd been collecting by this point, they would have all gone. Anyway, they do manage to get it to... How'd they get off? Yeah, well, they wait for the high tide, so the, the maximum pressure upwards, and then they kind of pull it off. And they're very lucky because a bit of the coral is stuck in the hull, and it kind of plugs the, um, the, the leak. Scratch the hole, And yeah. then they do this thing where they, they kind of plaster the ship up with a technique called uh, fothering, where they... they Higher sail underneath, and the pressure of the water pushes Push the oh, sail. Pushes it's a very clever yeah, yeah, thing yeah, to do. Clever. They managed yeah. to take it into um, uh, the dry dock, almost, isn't it? Yeah, like the, the, this yeah. river, which again, this is colonial because this river is now known as um, Endeavour River. Warrumbiri, I think, is its proper name. But there's another series of encounters here with the Aboriginal people, which. Um, very lucky again the endeavor because where they where they bring this ship into beach is a sacred ground where no blood is to be spilled so the story goes so they're not really in the danger that they might have been elsewhere but this is where this famous moment happens where they encounter a kangaroo for the first time and no one has the vocabulary to describe this creature which says you know I just see what are these hopping past you think what the hell is that so um, there's lots of funny um, explanations in journals saying well we think it's a hare or it's a deer or is it you know whatever and so uh, yeah they they have the kangaroo there actually more dangerously than the reef the first encounter with the reef is is the second ones when they go back out to sea because they have to get through this whole coral sea i don't know if you spent time on the great barrier reef but that whole queensland coast mm. it just completely it's a to sail through yeah yeah cook never went back he just he got out of there as quickly as he could but actually like weaving through all of these reefs was really hair raising, and they thought that they'd had it a number of times, and they but very they, nearly. But they bandage up the ship. They managed to sort of band aid it up yeah. with the sail. I, I mean, I love that detail of it. And then they are on the return. Are they then yeah, resolved? And now they've gone as far as they can, and they've got to go home. Yeah, I, I think like at this point, there's just two two last things I have to tell you. They get to Batavia, Batavia. which is modern Jakarta, isn't it? Yeah, it's, that's right. And when you go to Jakarta today, there's the old area of Batavia where there's a wonderful museum of yeah. uh, of seafaring and, uh, and, yeah. and with all the. And but this is really where they have in a way the, the most deadly portion of the voyage because a lot of these sailors are, are, are taken ill at Batavia where there's a very bad climate I suppose always, this always happens throughout colonial yeah. history malaria and, and dysentery and Batavia's this notorious. is where yeah, yeah exactly like Cook reproached himself mostly because he'd brought most people safely around all of these free reefs and around islands around Cape Horn most people died at Batavia and um, Sydney Parkinson dies there for example You're and Tupaya yeah. and right. leaving all his pictures Star navigation. Yeah. Oh, right. As I say that, I mean, his history itself is is an extraordinary story. Extraordinary. The weird thing is, in a sense, that the the Dutch, having got as far as Batavia, turn it into their capital, but never go and explore or try and draw maps of these. Well, reefs do you know what and- I should tell you? Actually, press a Dalrymple button here because <laughs> there was this great question. So the world is like a big maze, basically, and with when you put the the winds on top of that, then it's actually quite like kind of going between some places is very easy going between others is very difficult so cook was the very first who really 
went across the Pacific that way. It was easier to go the other way. And um, it's not quite right, but in, in broad terms, it might be. Um, and he was the first person to go up the eastern coast of Australia. Now, but how did he get up from the Coral Sea to Batavia? And he went through a passage that was in Dalrymple's book which I told you, if you remember oh, before. Gosh. It's actually, I think it's called the, the Torres the Straits. that he handed the over. Strait, yeah. yeah. Wow. And, and, and but was, for that, and, and Cook acknowledges this, doesn't he? Yeah, and, and mm. so, and, and Dalrymple, when he finds out about this, is just incandescent so, uh, because not only has Cook yeah. taken his voyage, he's taken his map, taken so he's his got glory. home thanks to his... Oh, he's found, he used his, his, his passage. So the ship is now home does it come home to a hero's welcome does cook get sort of lifted onto everyone's shoulders and is the endeavor then you thought of as this this amazing part of history then and there you were well you'd have thought that, that might be the way it goes kind of right yeah actually cook is promoted captain becomes captain cook for tree i mean he, he then, yeah. yeah he's in in reality and he is um poised to go on two further voyages so that, that's a separate history which is ends with his death in hawaii on valentine's day in 1779 banks is the celebrity he is the you know he's lord star. around he's the rock and roll yeah. star yeah and because um, he knows how to do PR, while yeah, Captain Cook is reticent and Yorkshire. Exactly. And the, the, the ship itself keeps quiet. The ship itself is pretty much forgotten. No about point it. in talking about it. But nobody <laughs> wants to turn. <laughs> nobody wants to turn the ship into a museum no. or a monument or no, nothing it's re, like it's that. No, re, it's repurposed. So what happens is it's sent out again on new commissions. So again, as Endeavour, it goes down to Falkland Islands a couple of times. And comes back from that. And I think its life would have been pretty much at an end because it was pretty worn out by this point. It had been through the Barrier Reef. Yeah. Through the Barrier Reef. Well, the Barrier Reef had been through it. <laughs> but then this this last, and this is the thing that I'll kind of end with in a way, because this is the twist in the tale. Because this the story, is part of your discovery. Yeah. Well, not mine. I won't claim this, but it's, it, it's not as well known. Let's put it that way. The ship was then renamed... Lord Sandwich, and it was commissioned as a troop carrier. Now, in 1775, 1776, we all know what was happening then. American it's a little bit interesting in America, yeah. yeah. The, the biggest logistic are... problem in uh, in your world history to that point is how do you take a British army from Britain across the Atlantic in such massive numbers? And uh, yeah, this endeavour was renamed Lord Sandwich, and it sailed to New York Harbour in 1776 with all these Hessian well, troops. I have to say, it. Alexander Drimple's cousin, William Drimple, is in charge. Oh, but we'll hell. pass over that. Oh, my God. <laughs> God they right. can't get away from yeah. Uh, yeah, so they, Having so, just committed the Boston Massacre, I'm ashamed to say. Yeah. Just so you should be. <laughs> okay. Oh, is, is that your one as well? Yeah. Oh, William Drupal. Yeah. You yeah. can't move for tripping over them these days, I find. Okay. Yeah. So that, and it ends its life there as a And so uh, the very last like yeah. chapter, I suppose, is in Newport, Rhode Island and Narragansett Bay, where it's used as pretty much a prison ship. And um, it's a pretty sad end to this what great was, exploring yeah. vessel. Yeah. yeah. And in 1778, it's scuttled, which the is French deliberately... Are the French are coming yeah. for, for wait, wait, Rhode wait, Island. Wait. You just you just talked over the saddest bit. It's scuttled. So it's basically the heart is taken out of it and it's sunk. Where's its body then? So this has become a, a huge hide and seek operation over the last... I mean, the last 20 years, it's been the subject of this investigation by um, people in America, by the Australian National Maritime Museum. We were very keen to find it. There's been a process 
process of narrowing down where it was they they found it was definitely part of one of 12 then it was part of one of five then they've narrowed it down to one which you would have thought would be enough to discover it but actually that's not the same as a positive identification because you've got to find something so i'm hoping my oak trees from yorkshire might be useful one day as oh, a gosh, so identifying yeah. dna yeah, yeah maybe uh, i don't know uh, do you know it's such a fabulous story and you tell it so well peter thank you so so much for being one of our christmas ships so really sad ending it. from, from the whitby coast yeah, to, yeah, yeah. to newport and, yeah. and rhode well, island it, I mean, 14 it, years it lived a life though Mm. Quite epic for 14 years. Um, Peter, thank you so very much. And uh, well, there's not much else to say apart from ding dong merrily on your high. <laughs> thank, thank you so much for, for being with Empire. We're going to be with you after Christmas. Uh, till then, it's goodbye and ho 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 from me, Anita Arnon. And goodbye and ding dong from me, <laughs> <laughs> Ding dong. <laughs> Bye.